0: Um, but this is something I am crazily passionate about, okay? Um, one of the things I was struggled with when I was in high school, e- even, even in college a little bit, is people would come to me and, you know, challenge me in my faith, challenge me on the Bible and the reliability of the Bible, um, challenge me on what I believe. My youth pastor challenged me all the time. We would just go shoot hoops, and he'd ask me questions about theology. And most of the time, I would not only airball the shot... But I would airball the question. And that bothered me. Why do I believe what I believe? Is it because, because what I did? Because I, I went and studied the Word of God and, and I went to church and all these things and researched this stuff? Or is it just because my youth pastor told me, my pastor told me, my parents told me, my, my friends told me? You know, why do I believe what I believe? And whether you think so or not, everyone has a theology. Okay, so tonight I'm going to pray in a little bit. I know we just prayed, but it's kind of like a habit. I just like to pray. Um, I like to pray before we start. So I'm going to pray here in a little bit. Um, but this is something I love. I just got through a class uh, last November, December, about the cultures of the Bible and how we, can, we really can rely on the Bible and its truth and its inerrant, which means uh, without error. Um, and there's theology behind that, too, and that's what we're going to get into tonight. So let's pray. And then, don't worry, I've already used a couple big words. We're going to explain every one of them. And if I don't, ask me later or one of your leaders, okay? Father, thank you for tonight. Um, I just glorify you for uh, this, this topic. I'm excited about it. And God, I pray we all are just excited. And we open up our eyes and our ears to you and our hearts. And yeah, Lord, just thank you so much for everyone that came. And uh, we love you, Lord. Amen. Uh, real quick, too, if I start like hawking a loogie on you guys, I'm sorry. I've had like a sinus infection. Yeah, they're all scooting back all weekend. So I'm, I'm in the same boat as Brad. I'm kind of sick. So I'm going to be drinking a lot, coughing a lot probably. But um, the definition of theology is the study of God, okay? Gee, I mean, if you guys don't have notes, I mean, you have your note cards, too, if you need. Um, there might be some space on the paper, but that's something I would put down is, is the definition of theology is the study of God, okay? So why does, why does it matter that we have a theology? Why would it matter in our life? Why would I care to know anything about theology? You um, or someone you might know, I've known a ton of people like this because I go to a Bible college, or I did, um, would always say, well, you know what, why would I care about that stuff when it trips so many people up? I just love Jesus. I just want to worship God. Uh, I want to go to church. I want to be faithful. That's what I'm here for. And that's good. And that's correct to a certain extent, but that's still a theology. That's still a theology. It's still what you believe, what you believe about God and your relationship. Um, I know people, um, one who's very close to me, who did worship theology over over the relationship. Um, This guy was probably the godliest guy I'd ever met up until this time. And now I know that he's not really living with God anymore. And it's really hard for me to see that and understand that because it's like, man, you blew me out of the water with Christian walk and, and the faith and, and how you talked and act. And, you know, it's hard. So it's important because there is such a thing as a wrong theology or a right theology, okay? Many people believe they have the right theology, but it can truly make or break whether you spend life in eternity in heaven or eternity with eternal punishment, okay, like Catholicism um, I'm not trying to point anything out or anything or offend anyone, but justification by works over over faith um, that can that's going to lead you to eternal punishment over eternal life okay so there's certain things that we need to really study and know and be sound on when we're talking about theology, because it can make a break where we spend eternity. Now, I'm not saying that to scare anyone. I'm saying that to say this, this stuff that we're going to talk about in the next three weeks has a lot of gravity in our life. It has a lot of gravity. It is so important. Theology matters with everything we do sometimes in our spiritual walks. Often when students go off to college, um, I, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but something like 75% or... 140% of college students, I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's a ridiculously high number, they just chuck their faith. And why do they chuck their faith? Because in a science class or a world's religion class, whatever it is, their theology is challenged. People bring up, well, you can't, you can't rely on the Bible. You can't, how can you believe in, in a God that you've never met or seen? Do you feel him? Well, that's weird. How can you believe in something that no one's seen? So these things are challenged, and then people chuck their faith. The theology is just thrown out the window. So if you don't know what you should know, then I fear for your future, okay? And that was, thankfully for me, I went to a Christian college, but if I had gone to a secular college, I would have been challenged big time, because I I just didn't know this stuff. So there's there's a lot of levels and a lot of different depths that we could get into tonight. Um, Like, for instance... Pretty much all semester last fall, I spent four hours in a class twice a week talking about one subject of theology, whether it's predestination, which is like God chose to save me or he didn't choose to save me, and I have a part in that. That's really confusing. Or there's other things like apologetics, which means defending your faith. Okay, if you guys want to write these down, I'll try to go slow. I've got a, I'm have got i listing a couple of them, um, but you can spend a short amount of time like we're going to talking about it, or you can spend a really long time talking about it. So I remember with the Dominican Republic, um, Luke Wadney, um, uh, Marcus, Ryan, John Bass, all those guys. I mean, we, Kiana, he's not here anymore, he graduated, but we talked for, I don't know, four or five hours throughout the week about theology. Those guys just wanted to know, and that was a blast talking with them. Uh, my small group, sometimes we we bring this stuff up with John and and Mike and Mark and Joel, all those guys. Mike Klopp sat down with me uh, a while ago, and he wanted to write a paper on angels and demons, and angelology is what that's called, the study of of angels and demons. So this stuff, uh, it's important stuff, and we need to know it. Um, Another one is inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. That's about biblical truth and the accuracy of Scripture. Um, And third one is eschatology. That's one of my favorites, uh, which is end times. So the tribulation, so that's in Revelation and Daniel. It's called apocalyptic literature, uh, meaning like end times again. That's a word that some people can't pronounce. Um, another one is pneumatology. That's also a spelling bee word. How many of you guys can spell pneumatology? It's P-N-E-U. Those are the first four, so it's kind of hard. That's the study of the Holy Spirit. So we just prayed a little bit ago. Um, first words were, Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing us tonight, or or something along those lines, the study of the Holy Spirit. Christology is is the study of the life of Christ and his deity, his his fully man, fully God at the same time. Um, And then there's one that is really hard. It's called womanology. We've been studying it since the beginning of time, but guys, we still don't understand it, do we? (laughs) I'll be here all night. Uh. Sorry, that was actually a bash on guys, not girls. So don't, don't be offended by that, ladies. Um, but I just want to throw that in. I made up that word. But hey, these are two books. Um, theology books. One is Across the Spectrum, and the other one is called Bible Doctrine. Um, if you guys ever want books like this, to study this stuff, don't be afraid to ask Brad or I or anyone else who has a book. But I'm referencing these because they're not as as big and daunting as you might think they are. This one kind of is. I've got a book about triple the size of this, um, and you'll find a lot of them like that. But this one is actually pretty small and and really easy to read. But you open these up, and there's 13 chapters in this book, and there's like, I think, 30 in this one, honestly. I don't know. I don't have time to look through it. But there's a lot of stuff in those, okay? And it's not as hard as you might think it is to read through that. But the basic principle of of this talk is that Jesus taught theology, whether you think so or not. Jesus taught theology. They just didn't really have the term theology about it, okay? Um, And so the apostles, like Romans, that's probably the greatest theological book in the Bible. So is Hebrews. Sorry, I squeaked. I know. I get it. (laughs) I get it. I told you I'm going to squeak tonight. Um, Put this in your notes. This is on the board. Your theology affects the way you worship and glorify God, the way you live life, what church you attend, the way you pray, the way you think, and other areas, ETC, etc. Theology matters, guys. And a lot of it has to do with hermeneutics, okay? Now that's another big word. That's the study of the Bible. I'm not trying to use so many big words. It's just going to happen, okay? Correct interpretation of the Bible is absolutely vital to our walk with Christ. Because if you, again, if you get the wrong theology, that could lead down a very dangerous path. And it's important that you study the Word of God and do research on it and ask your peers or your, or your pastors or your friends what the correct interpretation is according to them and, and what the Bible says. So before the next few weeks um, start with this theology stuff, uh, we need to discuss the inerrancy of Scripture, and why the Bible is reliable, okay? So, once you guys get that down, Um, we are going to go ahead and start in on the worksheet. So, go ahead and turn to that. So, a lot of these I'm just going to breeze through real quick. Um, Some of them I'm going to, like, actually stop and explain, and I've got a a couple pictures we're going to look at, so it's going to be some pop-up pictures, you know, really fun stuff. Going back to kindergarten, all that, or ninth grade. Um, okay, so scripture—I've already said this word a few times—is inerrant. How you spell that? I n n e r r a n t. It means without error. Okay, and it, spell it again: I n n e r r a n t. And again, that is another form of theology, okay? It's just, that's the, the fancy word for it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we have, we have this book for a reason. Mine's, mine's pretty thick because I, I have a study Bible, so this actually helps me a lot. But this book, we have this for a reason, God didn't give this to us just to say, hey, you need to obey every little thing in here. It's to train us. It's to help us in times of need. It's for us to go to when we need him and we need to get closer to God, okay? It's it's there for us to profit us. Um, B, so it is God-breathed, and since God is perfect, we can assume his word is also perfect. Okay, so that means without error. So inerrancy of Scripture, there's... Technically, three beliefs on that, Um, two major ones. One is that it is without error regarding our spiritual walk, so that everything the Bible says about our spiritual life is correct, okay? But the historical side of it could be a little little off, okay? Um, I actually believe, again, study this on your own, I believe that it is without error completely and totally, historically and spiritually, because it's the viewpoint of the author. Like if, if I go up to Marcus and I kick Marcus in the face and he goes like this and, and he whips his head, to me I actually didn't kick him. I missed his face by about two inches but you guys, because you have this view, think I kicked him, right? So to me I didn't kick him but to you guys I did. So there's kind of two different sides to that. So that's kind of the viewpoint of the author thing. The, the author might have a different viewpoint than the rest of history. Um, not all history matches up with each other. Um, So that's, that's B, okay? There are over 40 different authors in the Bible, and it's written in three different languages on three different continents over a span of 1,500 to 2,000 years. And the best part about that is, those are some crazy stats, but every one of these books and letters of the Bible agree on the same thing. I got goosebumps. I, I really do. Like that's that's absolutely insane to me, and that again proves that Scripture is truly inspired by God. Okay, the entire Bible agrees on the same subjects. It matters in the life of Christ. Jesus has a fulfilled. Blah, Jesus has fulfilled over four hundred prophecies that were made about Him in the Old Testament. The Old Testament alone, uh, and those are prophecies that are just about Christ. There's a thousand more that are that are there there's a thousand more prophecies about other stuff besides the life of Christ. some were made over a thousand years before he was even born. The probability of of one of these prophecies to even come true a thousand years before Jesus Christ was born is one in ten to the twentieth power, so I have a number up here. That's what that's equivalent to. So that's million, trillion, that's quadrillion. One in one quadrillion. That's like a way harder chance of getting your bracket 100% right. How many of you guys won your bracket league? Anybody? I did. I got lucky. I picked Duke. That was a side note. Um, But all the prophecies about Jesus were what percent accurate, do you think? Hondo. Put a hondo down, 100%. 100 percent. That's, that's uh, number B. That's <laughs> letter B. All the prophecies about Jesus were 100 percent accurate. If a prophet was wrong in any way concerning prophecy he made, he would be taken away and stoned or killed. So these guys, if they messed up, well, sucks to suck, man. You're not, you're not a prophet from God. God doesn't mess up. So they took this seriously. If you messed up, Man, I would be scared to death to be a prophet. I would never open my mouth. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 says this, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit. So that's how we got our Bible. Men were moved by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write what we have as our Bible today. And yes, I know, I squeaked again. I'm sorry. You guys are all laughing at me. <laughs> 3,808 times in the Bible, the Old Testament writers claim the writing of the words of God. The only prophecies that are unfulfilled now will be in the end times, uh, or the second coming, or in, or in the book of Revelation. Any of those three things you can put there. That's eschatology again. I mentioned that earlier. That's one of my favorite things to study, and that's um, scary to study, but also, like, awesome. The power of God is incredible, and we're going to see it. So um, in 1947, a shepherd found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and yes, that is capitalized. Dead Sea Scrolls. Every word is capitalized. They're found in a cave, and it gave a lot of proof to the Bible and the contents of what's, of what's in it. So this was a huge huge find for the Christian world because we are claiming that our Bible is, is accurate and it is good and it is, you know, from the Lord. And so many people are questioning that. And then up here on the left, that's the cave, one of the caves. There's actually like 11 or 18, somewhere in there. Um, a shepherd was, was shepherding his sheep and one got lost and he actually chucked a rock up to try to scare one back. And it went in one of these caves and he heard something break And so he walked up in there, and he had broken a pot, and there were, like, hundreds of pots and letters um, of what we know today as the Bible, okay? Um, So a huge find for us, and it contained New Testament letters and some Old Testament books um, or historical letters that that we did not have before that. Before, it was just um, some of the Older Testament stuff like the Torah and um, other stuff that's more confusing to get into Um, I mean, we still have the New Testament, but this allowed us to have proof, okay? This gave us the proof and the reliability that we needed. So with the Dead Sea Scrolls, we know they're accurate because the way that they were put together. Um, So there were over 5,600 manuscripts. I'm skipping A and B, so go to C. There's over 5,600 manuscripts to compare, some in the 2nd or 3rd century that are all identical, it's the single most documented piece of ancient literature there is, and they all agree. Guys, have confidence. If the middle letter of these manuscripts didn't match up with each other, it was chucked out. So if I say, the cat ran, the manuscript that on the also had that sentence that said the cat ran, the A and the A had to match up in the same spot. If it didn't, if it was off by one, they threw it out because it wasn't accurate enough. This is the word of God to them. The copies found in those caves proved to be word for word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible, so the Bible we have, we have today, in more than 95% of the text. Now you're saying, okay, well that's not 100%. Right. But the 5% variation consisted of obvious slips of the pen and variations in spelling. Okay, so there's there's words like love in the Hebrew language or Aramaic language or the Greek language that we, we don't have an English word for. So love in the New Testament um, a lot of times is, is referred to as agape love, meaning a love higher than anything we can understand. And really technically, um, according to the New Testament, only, only God can have an agape love for us. Which I tell my fiance, baby, I love you with agape love all the time. And it means nothing to her. No, I'm kidding. I don't. That's that's weird. Um, I don't do that. But we can have confidence in these things. The, another thing, number five: study the canonization process, which is how the Bible, uh, excuse me, how the Bible was put together and how um, which books of the Bible were decided to to be put in the Bible. Um, each letter, so like each letter that that Paul wrote, so like the First and Second Corinthians, Romans. Um, or even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, all that stuff. They were tested for six to eight months before they were even considered to be added to the Bible. And then there was um uh, meetings and councils and all this stuff. Um and there's there's still letters written by these guys that are being tested today, which is insane to me. Um Number six, I got I to gotta breeze through this stuff, guys. I'm sorry. But outside sources, if you guys want to know more about the canonization or Dead Sea Scrolls, don't be afraid to talk to me. I love talking about that stuff. My youth group, I actually didn't get to go. Uh, my youth group went to Minneapolis about five years, uh, I know, it was about six years ago. And the Dead Sea Scrolls were on display there. Some of them were. Uh, my youth pastor cried his eyes out. I mean, it's an awesome thing to see. And that was the other picture on that. Can we go back to that, actually? That was the other picture. There's one down here. After 2,000 years, those are some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay? So that's kind of what they look like. Those are awesome to study. Um, Outside sources. There are outside sources of Noah. Noah and the Ark. This is a really hard word to say. He was known as Utnapishtim, okay? I don't know how else to say that. Utnapishtim. I don't know. say it fast. Uh, In the Mesopotamian culture, so... Uh, But in their culture, it was a little bit different, okay? So, again, with the different viewpoint thing, what we know is nowhere in the ark, they knew him as a god, okay? He was a real person, whatever, but he was a god, and they were going to destroy mankind with a flood, and he decided he wanted to save humankind, so he became human. And he survived the flood, he and his family, and populated the earth, okay? And there's a lot more to it than that. Um, God's had different battles and destroyed stuff and didn't. I mean, it's confusing. Uh, but I can give you stuff to read on that, too, if you want. Um, and then B, King Hezekiah, who is an Israelite king, was is an Israelite king, had a war with the Assyrian king, Sennacherib. This is in 2 Kings 18. If we had time, I would take you to this passage because it, it really, it's true. 2 Kings 18 and 19 and even a little bit further than that. Um, this is awesome to study. Um. The Assyrian army was massive. Okay, it had the largest empire of this time um, before Second Kings. Okay, so this was the biggest army, the biggest empire the world had known at that time. And this dude, Sennacherib, uh, took advantage of psychological warfare. So, not to be too gruesome with you, but they would they would line so like the cities would have walls, and they would take prisoners. And pin them up alive. Or skin them alive and pin them on the walls. To scare people away. Or they would take posts. And stuff it up through the bodies alive. And then pound them into the ground. Miles outside of the city. So that one if anyone came. They'd be scared to death. And this army was massive. And they were mean. And they were ungodly. Scary. And they are marching down. ...on the Israelite nation, okay, on, on Judah. And Sennacherib, so obviously their military is what they're most proud of, this this nation, this Assyrian nation. They have these walls, you know, like when you see kind of in Egypt or even the, the Middle East... Um, ...where they have like all these uh, hieroglyphics explaining stories and stuff. Well, this dude had one of those explaining all these great victories and how they destroyed all these people. And then when it comes to Israel... It says, all it says is, I trapped Hezekiah in a city like a bird in a cage, and then I went home. Because if you read 2 Kings 18, Hezekiah knows that he did wrong to Sennacherib, and so he's coming to destroy him, and Sennacherib tries to to say, hey, surrender or else we're going to absolutely, utterly destroy you. And Hezekiah says, no, my God can deliver me. My God will deliver me. And so Sennacherib sends back one of his messengers and says, dude, the last 40 cities I just destroyed said the same thing. Well, my God, my God, my God can do this. And in the Bible, it actually lists out some of the gods that he destroyed. And he sent this letter back to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah took it before the Lord and prayed over it and dumped ashes on his head and everything and said, God, deliver us. I know this is, this is the praying boldly thing that, that Dakota talked about two weeks ago. I know you are greater. I know you are the real God. I know you can deliver me. Deliver us. And that night, God sent the angel of the Lord and killed 185,000 men to the point where Sennacherib nearly had no army left. And he got up and went home. So obviously his pride was too much to say that the God of the Israelite king defeated me. He just said, I trapped him like a bird in a cage, and I went home. Cool story, bro. Tell it again, All right? So that, that's an awesome story to me. Um, there's other outside sources of Moses and the exodus from Egypt. Um, so in 2003, there's going to be pictures up here, there were artifacts found at the bottom of the Red Sea that were Egyptian, okay? So the one up on the top left, I don't know if you guys can see it, there's two kind of gold hints on the, on the top and the bottom, um, that's a chariot wheel. That was found at the bottom of the Red Sea, okay? And then down here, it's another wheel with like half an axle. Um, there's been some artifacts found. That was found in 2003. There was one that actually came up um, about like five months ago. Ended up being fake. Um, that they said they found even like the Pharaoh's chariot and, and spear and all that stuff. Um, Because the markings on it. But that was actually fake. But this, this is authentic, okay? This is the bottom of the Red Sea. Chariots, like, there's tons of them down there, I guess. So that's awesome. Um, Outside sources of the life of Jesus is another one. Most other religions honor that Jesus existed and had a great message about God. But many claim he was simply just another prophet. So that's that other blank. Or a good man with a great cause. The bottom line, what I read from that, what I read from other religions, like Islam or Buddhism, whatever those are, you can't deny that Jesus existed. You can't deny the word of God. You can't deny the message that Jesus Christ came with about God and how he wants to save us and have a relationship with us. Okay, You can't deny the theology behind his life and why that matters to our life and how we worship him. I'm going to skip number seven quick because that's kind of the last point I'm going to have. But number eight, have confidence. After listening to all of this, and there is so much more, so much more. Have confidence. How can you not have confidence in that? Okay. Um, Turn to Hebrews chapter five. This is where we're going to. This is where we're going to be at tonight. That's all my intro. No, I'm kidding. We're about done. i got to hurry up. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 to 14. Okay, with all this being said about about the Word of God and Scripture and theology, why does this matter to us? Okay? It says this, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So what does that mean? Well, it means a couple different things. Um, We're not going to cover all of them uh, because, I mean, it's good to read the Bible to discern from good and evil, meaning, like, you know, right from wrong. But for us, too, an infant drinks milk. Eventually, they start drinking food to the point where you're your age and you're drinking um, protein shakes or you're eating a big old heifer steak, all right? You have solid food. You have solid meat. So in our Christian walk, it's important for us to mature and to grow. Some of us are more mature than others. Some of us um, still need to make the choice to follow God. And even if you're 38 years old and you just follow God, you're probably considered an infant in your spiritual walk, which is weird. Some of you who have been a Christian since the day you can remember might, might be a little bit more mature than others, okay? And that's, that's fine. Actually, you're supposed to help others. Um, I still have a lot of maturity to do. We all do. I wish I could be at my grandpa's level right now or my dad's level. That would be awesome to me. Um, but something you've got to work at. But that's, that's important to us, okay? So with all this being said, I don't want you guys to lose heart. I said a lot of big words. I think we're going to continually say a lot of big words. But this stuff is, is fun to study. It's going to help, and it's going to grow you and mature you because you need to know what you believe about God. When someone challenges you on your faith... How are you going to respond to that? You're going to be like, oh, uh, Jesus. No, man, I'm I'm saying like, what book of the Bible is that from? Jesus said it. No, it's in Genesis. Okay, you know, how, how are you going to answer those questions, all right? So take ownership of this on your own. And again, guys, I kind of mentioned this in the beginning, but one of the most important things that you guys can do is study this on your own, because you need to know what you personally believe. It's in the Bible. I promise you that. Anything you want to know about theology is in the Bible, and you can trust it, and you can grow from it. Okay? For me, I I just listened to classmates and teachers for a while, and I never got into it on my own. And I learned a little bit, but until I started studying this stuff on my own, and researching it, and talking to, to my pastors, and to Brad, and to even my high school guys... I never grew until I started doing that stuff, until I took ownership of my faith and took initiative with it, okay, until I had that desire and motivation. So don't just listen to me. Don't just listen to Brad or Dakota in the next two weeks, but study it on your own. It's worth it, and it's a a lot of fun. Some of it's pretty boring, but a lot of it is a blast, okay, and I'm not a smart guy. Um, It's not as scary as you think, so dig deep, okay? Um, Again, if you guys have any questions, don't be afraid to ask your leaders or me or Brad or Dakota. Um, and, if, and if they don't know, I'm sure they're going to tell you, I'll look it up and I'll get back to you, okay? Uh, so keep this, hang on to it, it's awesome. Guys, have confidence, theology matters like crazy. Let's pray quick, all right? Father, thank you for tonight. Um, God, I pray that we just take this to heart and why theology is so important and, and why the Bible is so important to our lives um, and how we can truly, truly trust it. Um, so yeah, Lord, we love you and help us have an awesome night. Amen. Oh, number seven, the Bible, thank you, the Bible is a book of hope to the lost and a manual for the saved, okay? And you're going to talk about that in your small groups tonight, what that means. Sorry, guys.